0: I mean, imagine though, you know, going through your whole life, like thinking that you hate a type of person when really you don't even understand what you hate.
1: They were ripping open their private letters to figure out what was going on. Like, (laughs) why are you so obsessed?
2: They were told that they shouldn't be feeling that, that if they were feeling that, they were sick. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode seven of Social Discord, Queer as History, Equality and Empathy for LGBTQ People. I'm Dalen Turk, your host for today.
1: I'm Kara Tebow.
0: And I'm Curtis Medina.
2: So as I said, today's episode, Queer is History, Equality, and Empathy for LGBTQ Plus People, is going to be the first of a three-part series diving into the LGBTQ Plus community. And to save myself time and something that we'll go over later, I'm going to go ahead and say the queer community. Um, We will discuss later on why that is now accepted in today's environment. But to start off today's episode, we want to go over some of the questions that we're looking to answer for ourselves and that hopefully you can find answers for within today's episode. Starting off, why is Pride Month celebrated in June? It's something that's swallowed the nation every June and it's become more and more popular. And so we want to discover really why is that? Another one is why does the rainbow represent the queer community? It's become the symbolic thing that everyone notices and everyone recognizes immediately when they see those rainbow stripes. Another one, how have LGBTQ plus people been treated in various time periods and how are they treated now? Throughout the episode, we're gonna be going over different time periods, different laws, different incidents, different groups that were really brought on and different things that happened throughout time in America and abroad that LGBTQ people have had to face and deal with. And lastly, what is a word that can include all the spectrum of the LGBTQ people? Before we head in, Curtis, our main architect for today's episode, when you were typing up the notes, when you're doing the research for this show, what did you have in mind going into it? What were the type of people that you really wanted to communicate this episode to?
0: Yeah, you know, one of my the important things of this episode is we want you to listen to it no matter who you are and maybe even especially if you are a conservative or somebody who doesn't think you've ever met a gay person or, you know, thinks it's kind of a fad that people are just doing right now that, you know, they're just kind of messing around with it cuz it's popular or anything like that. We you know, we want you to listen to it um all the way to the end. We don't want you to tune out and, you know, and the uh, and only people will be left are, or, or as I've I've been referring to it, as the queer choir, you know, basically, that's some, what you end up preaching to um, at a lot of these events and for a lot of these episodes are people who basically are already kind of, you know, somewhat educated or somewhat sold on, on, on you know, the idea of equality. So, you know, if you disagree, we really want you to listen all the way through. And the other um, type of person that I really want to, uh, reach with this episode is somebody who's questioning um, their sexuality or is gay and doesn't exactly know what to do about it. Um, you know, we want you to to listen because there's a lot of things that you probably don't know about the history of the uh, queer movement. So yeah, so you know, going right into the the topic, uh, you know, some primers just to kind of make life easier. Um, the first thing is is actually an answer to one of the questions we were we, we just posed was you know what is an easier thing to say than Uh, lgtbq or lgbtq all kinds of different ways you can put it Um, generally it's accepted right now to use the word queer which actually used to be a slur um, thrown at gay people uh, up until about the 80s and then in the 90s it started um, kind of being repurposed taken back um, as a really kind of simple uh, direct word um, which you know basically means that you're something a little bit different than the normative. Um, you know, if you're curious, the actual full um, acronym that, I, that at least most people say, not that there's not more, but is it's LGBTQQIAAP. Say <laughs> <See>, that fast. <laughs> yeah, which a friend of mine actually compared to, you know, trying to remember the numbers of pi, you know as far as you can go and so it's not really super practical Um, and you know and of course those things stand for individual lesbian gay gay, bisexual transgender transsexual queer questioning intersex asexual ally pansexual and a bunch of other things Um, not and and we've also definitely forgot a few other things so you know so basically there's been a real big movement um, with a lot of organizations to basically just say you know hey let's stop naming each and every uh, type of person uh, because we're going to forget somebody or we're going to put them in, a, in an order that people don't like and we're going to you know it's going to be confusing so so we're going to say queer throughout the rest of the episode in in everything but except for maybe some quotes from direct articles
2: you know it's interesting the other day there was something in the news and i was talking to my dad about it and he it was something about the lgbtq plus community and um using the word queer and she asked me he's like you know i thought that was you know offensive i thought that was a slur." and and I'm like, well, no, it's not anymore. And he asked me what it meant. And I I couldn't answer that. I like I knew it wasn't within the same context as it used to be. Um, so coming into this episode, that was automatically something that, you know, I needed to learn for myself.
0: Well, in the nineties there was a show called Queer as Folk. Um I've never watched it myself. Um, I probably should at some point, but um, but it it actually was it really helped the popularity of the word and mm-hmm. to take it back. Um you know, so uh, and I, I understand that some people are still offended by the word, particularly people yeah. who are older who, you know, had it yelled at them or whatever. Um, but, you know, but it's but it is generally gaining acceptance. And I think it's a much easier way to, to go about it.
2: Mm. And now we have the second generation of the show Queer Eye as well. Yeah, we do. Exactly. We do. I forgot about that. I love yeah. Queer Eye. It's I such do. a good show.
0: And Kara, do you want to you want to uh, handle the next one?
1: Yep. So our second primer that we've got at the top of the episode. Um, so. The queer movement represents a lot of, you know, related but very unique people. And it seems like a lot of that bigotry and hatred toward the queer movement is typically stemming from confusion for what seems to be an endless changing and growing redefinition of what society thought was understood. And if you're frustrated by it as a straight person or someone trying to understand this movement, imagine how hard it is for the person who's questioning themselves and and trying to navigate this. So we're going to try to define it, break it down and understand what the average person, queer or not, needs to know to better understand their world.
2: I think that's so important because there I feel like a struggle between, you know, the anti-LGBTQ, or not even anti, but you know, the people who don't really understand it, like a big reason for that is it seems like it's changing constantly, constantly, constantly. And I know for myself, you know, someone who's fairly ignorant on this topic, there are so many terms and so many things that I haven't kept up on. So I'd hear these different words and these different phrases and whatnot and you know, it's it's been tough to keep up on, but it's something that as a minority group that, you know, they're fighting to have recognized and have understood within a larger community.
1: And you know what? It's and no it's, secret that ignorance creates a lot of fear. Um, that does not mean that something is bad. It might just mean that you're maybe uneducated about it and it's scary because you don't know. Um, so maybe get educated and it won't be as scary and you won't hate it as much. <laughs>
0: yeah, I mean, I, I mean, imagine, though, you know, going through your whole life, like thinking that you hate a type of person when really you don't even understand what you hate, you know, I mean, right. I think that's probably the case in a lot of people, um, you know, and and so I'm hoping that if they're listening right now, you know, to the, what we're recording right now, that um, that, you know, they're ready to sort of like. Like, you know, dip their toe into this. And, you know, and, and you, it's, a t- it's totally fine if you, if you get it completely wrong and you, and you have to correct yourself or, you know, whatever. The, the mere act of trying is so important. I, I remember when I, I was taking French, uh, the language French, um, I, I, I asked my instructor, you know, I said, my French isn't very good. Like, if I go to France, are they going to think I'm rude for saying these words wrong? And she said, no, they'll appreciate you tried. I thought that was cool.
1: That's funny. That was the exact example I was thinking of. So great minds think alike. That's such an obscure example (laughs) for us both to come to, but it's a great one.
2: It works. It (laughs) It works. works.
1: (laughs) They do. They care. They'll talk to you if you just at least say "bullsh."
2: Yeah, right. Can't speak anything else
1: than that.
0: Not you know where 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 the local McDonald's at you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know. God damn it I'm an American food in Paris you know
2: I remember when I was in Germany I was in Munich and I was so excited to use German I was so happy I go into my hotel and I'm like hello you know and immediately she starts speaking English and I was like man she <laughs> like, was happy that you tried the I hollow was, was really good I was very excited but that's okay at least I tried and that's what we're hoping that you know. Within the podcast, that's something that we can do and hopefully our listeners can do moving forward. But rolling off of that into primer number three, terms change. Understanding of sexuality and gender changes over time. This may mean this could be outdated in a few years, and that's really okay. As a society, we should learn new understandings and actively try to change based on that new information. We shouldn't have to wait for a generation shift for change and progress to happen. Be lifelong learners. And with that, let's begin. Something that we all need to understand is that people choosing to question their sexuality or gender is nothing new. There's this kind of grand idea that it started in the 1960s, but really that's just not true. Queer people throughout the ages People choosing to question their sexuality or gender is nothing new, but how we treat these people and how their freedom to question have changed many times. Really, how we treat them starts at a very young age and and with very simple things and something that we might not think about are two things that kind of happen pretty often, which are the color blue and the color pink. So, Curtis, going into that, can you explain really how that came to be?
0: Yeah. Uh, you know, people, people generally think, you know, blue is for boys, uh, pink is for girls. Uh, you know, that, that's kind of just normal that we want, we want to know instantly when we see a baby, you know, uh, what their, uh, sex is. Um, so a lot of times they'll have, you know, like a little, like the headband or something, you know, that signifies, you know, what sex they are immediately or whatever. But it's funny because, you know, these things change over time and, 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 you know, your your parents or grandparents' lifetime, it's completely flipped. Uh, in in the old days, uh, blue was actually the color for girls, uh, and and pink was actually the color for boys. It may, and it was exactly the opposite. And the quote from the article I read, um, it was uh, it was from a 1918 article from the trade publication, um, Earnshaw's Infants Department said, quote. The generally accepted rule is pink for boys and blue for girls. The reason is pink being a more decided and stronger color is more suitable for a boy while blue, which is more delicate and dainty is prettier for the girl. So obviously it's a super sexist statement, (laughs) but, (laughs) but, but the point is, you know, you can justify a norm however you like and and it works just the same as today as you know the you know the idea of pink being dainty or whatever and even this whole stupid movement which i mean it's kind of progressive but it also is kind of like like hard to it's not really caught up with the times in my opinion mm-hmm. is this idea of tough enough to wear pink like <laughs> You know, like, like, apparently, like, you know, pink was the, you know, color for boys, according to, you know, 1918, like advertisements or whatever. So, you know, how tough, you know, do you really need to be? (laughs) But like, you know, so anyway, it changes over time. And, uh, and, and so a lot of the things that we're told um, from, I'm literally from birth, um, is, is just a lot of assumptions, a lot of, a lot of things that, that don't really have any founding in like absolute, law or anything like that so Mm -hmm. you know so when somebody questions these things when they change their mind when society changes it's not as radical as it really seems you know at one time uh you know women wearing pants was like a crazy idea you know it was it was it was so you know inappropriate and and women would get arrested for it and beat up for it you know you know i mean all these different things you know so 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 first of all like i guess the point is kind of like like drop your whole thing about like oh this is the way it's always been because I'm I'm like willing to bet you that it's not.
2: It was after the Industrial Revolution and in this article it's the Smithsonian Magazine article um, and it's when did girls start wearing pink pretty straightforward. And I think this is the same article that you were referencing um, talking mm-hmm. about the 1918 article and um, it says in 1927 Time Magazine printed a chart that literally showed sex-appropriate colors for girls and boys according to leading U.S. stores. And I think this was kind of a big transition into consumerism and really the ability for Americans to kind of rely on these, you know, big manufacturers and whatnot, really especially leading into the 1940s and into the 1950s. All the trends, you know, what – clothing colors everything was decided basically by you know the companies by the manufacturers the people who were it was a
0: it was a marketing ploy it,
2: it absolutely was
0: you had to buy clothes twice because people used to use the same clothing for kids um, up to a certain age at least um, whether or not they were a boy or a girl um, it was it was accepted up until about I think age five or six that that you would be dressed in basically a dress even if you were a boy and so it was a marketing thing to be like, um, no, you don't want, you know, you don't want your boy in a dress. You got to, you know, buy them this, this blue, you know, pair of pants or whatever. So you can't be thrifty and, and just use the clothes over again.
1: I, I do want to point something out too, and this is my opinion, but I think it's, <laughs> it's, I think it's valid. There's a lot of talk, especially right now in our society about, you know, people that are quote unquote, like a majority or minorities, things like that. Um, and it, If you look at, we just talked about how, you know, it was a marketing gimmick to change, you know, the colors for your gender. And at some point, the majority of people, which is to say, at at this point, and still at this point, you know, probably straight people, most likely white straight people, decided we're doing it this way now. And minority people or people who didn't agree with that had to fit in that box or they were like weird or persecuted or wrong. And so it's just kind of crazy how, at some point, the majority people, you know, are people who have a bigger voice or something like that say, actually, we're going to do it this way now. And if you don't subscribe to it, you're the wrong one. It's like, but I, we were just doing it the other way. And I liked that. So I think that's interesting, too, is you just constantly have to be fitting into these little boxes unless we allow more room for discussion of these things.
2: I was just going to say, it, it really wasn't until the 1960s when, especially for women, this gender neutral clothing became acceptable. Um, you know, prior to then, everyone fit in their roles. It was this intensely patriarchal system that, you know, was running through the country from the 40s to the 50s. And, you know, everyone had their place and Mm -hmm. that's how it worked. And it really wasn't until the 60s when that kind of stepped away. And, you know, especially because the 60s was this mile marker for social change in our country.
0: The thing I find, the more I look through history and question why things are, you know the more I, I I understand that that so many things that seem like it happened organically over time actually happened from a very like purposeful like direct Way or for a direct reason, like for this, you know, with that, it was basically a marketing ploy. Like it didn't just happen; people didn't just decide mm-hmm. to start yes. doing it. Yes, you know, and and the, and you and you find that in history over and over again, where like something that seemed like it just happened or whatever was actually very purposefully done, and usually uh, done for somebody's benefit, and a lot of times done for somebody else's detriment.
1: And I, when you when you think about the fact that a marketing gimmick might have caused, you know. Girls wearing blue pants or boys wearing, you know, pink dresses or something to be bullied or to be called, you know, names is is there's consequences to those kinds of actions, and so I think it's a good idea for us to challenge our own thoughts next time we think something is weird or out of the norm. And it's like, but why do you think that? Who told you that it's you know weird or out of the norm? So it's I think it's good to keep in the back of our minds at all times.
2: Curtis, you mentioned that up until the late 1800s, that at the cusp of the Industrial Revolution, like I was saying. Um, you know, there's pictures of FDR in 1882 at age two wearing a dress because at the time it was gender neutral and it was clothing for children specifically were chosen out of practicality. You know, you'd have, uh, you know, kid ages, you know, one to six wearing these white skirts and dresses because, one, you don't have to worry about stains. And you just bleach it and you don't have to worry about different colors and it's just – easier to clean up your kid. It's easier to, you know, just change them out if they get messy or whatever. I mean, think
0: about that idea today, you know, it's like, it's like, you know, be more practical, dress your boy in a dress. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just, I mean, like, and the, people would go crazy over that The key you know? perspective
2: like, of that. There was a was switch normal th- and they talk about it in this Smithsonian Magazine article where they say there was a switch from we dress our children like this out of practicality to where there was this concern that, oh, no, you know, if I dress my child in these gender neutral or these, you know, quote unquote, opposite gender clothing, they're going to turn out to have these, you know, mental issues that were perceived at the time. And so all of a sudden there was a switch where it's not like, oh, this is practical for, you know, my six year old son to wear this skirt to where, oh, if my six year old son wears a skirt, he's going to turn out to be gay. And that was a huge concern in America, in America because there was this like intense, heterosexual normativity that was across the country and anything that went against that was deemed immoral it was deemed deviant
0: and people didn't even you know they didn't even read about gay people um or trans people or lesbians you know that 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 was a that wasn't like it is today you know like like they rarely even heard the term and they may not have even of, of, uh, of understood exactly what it meant, because a lot of times, even if it did get written about, you know, it would be, it would be, you know, say something like, you know, perverts arrested or something like that. It didn't, you know, uh, specify that, you know, it was because, you know, this, "Quote unquote pervert" or whatever was wearing, you know, not enough of the of their of their gender normative like clothing. You know, there was like a law that you had to wear like three three articles of of your of your appropriate gender normal clothing, or you could be arrested in New York City. You know, like that's so stupid, mm-hmm. but you could be called a pervert for that. You know,
2: moving off of that, so and that actually goes uh, very well into the next session um, of how the community was treated and how various societies thought of them and. Like I said, there's this intense heteronormative idea that just America thrives on and to pin it to a point, And granted, the struggle for LGBTQ um, peoples has been one that's been through the ages. You know, like we said, it's not a 20th century issue. It's something that's always been around. And it's a myth that all of a sudden it just popped up. But this heteronormative idea really set its staples in American history, specifically in the American frontier. And I talk about this because um, in this book, and it's written by Peter Bogue, it's called Redressing America's Frontier Past. And it's a fascinating quote um, in the book. And he says, on the one hand, in the late 19th century, male to female cross-dressing was effectively removed from the defining narratives of the American West in the frontier and thus the nation. On the other hand, male to female cross-dressing was obviously central in a furtive sort of way to the creation of these narratives. And so what he's saying there basically is there is this intense heteronormative, just masculine, manly man narrative that was created in the American frontier. But really a large part of that is because of LGBTQ perspective in the LGBTQ community that was a, really alive and well then. But it was just completely taken out of the narrative because it was just so out of the ordinary and really just so not accepted at the time.
0: And our perception of of that time period is really shaped by, you know, cowboy movies and all that stuff that that even further, like, you know, push the very macho, like, you know, narrative that 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 really wasn't as true as as it as they, you know, show.
2: And so Peter Bogue, what he points out is that basically the narrative accepts female-to-male cross-dressers at the time. And in the book, uh, Peter Bogue, he talks about Bernard S. Tolmy, He was a New York physician, and he wrote this medical article in 1914 called Transvestism, A Contribution to the Study of the Psychology of Sex. And in this article, Tolmy met with four different people um, and – wrote about their case studies, and one specifically referenced in the book is about this person, M. And historians don't know M by anything other than M. And M was a boy, a man who, and at the time during the case study, he was in, I believe, his early 20s. And he dressed in women's clothing. That's what he, he didn't identify as a woman, per se, and he didn't consider himself, homosexual, or participate in um, sexual acts with someone of the same gender. He was somebody who just felt more comfortable and more themselves in women's clothing. And actually, um, there's a quote from Tommy that says, talking about when M was dressed in women's clothing, that when so dressed, I can always think more logically, feel less encumbered, solve difficult problems in a manner next to impossible under any other conditions. And so what Peter Bowe goes on to discuss in this book specifically regarding male to female crossdressers was that there were exceptions made in the sense that um, there were examples of men crossdressing as women in mining towns where it's 216 men and four women. So some of the younger men dress as women so that everyone had a dancing partner. (laughs) <laughs> or there's examples of
0: that's that's extremely sweet, by the way. It's like very that, that's like the sweetest way for sweet. society to change.
2: <laughs> you know, they everyone just wants to you know have a friend to dance with, but it's you know it's similar to Shakespearean times when women weren't allowed on stage, so you know men acted as the women. Um, but it was really driven by newspapers and propaganda, basically, where they worked very hard to basically put this idea of cross dressers and put this idea of non-heteronormative ways to the fringe, just to the peripherals of the American West, which over time, the American West kind of became the example of America, of the United States. Ways they did that as well was racializing it. Um, So basically pushing these acts on um, Native Americans and Hispanics and really trying to basically keep the, you know, white Anglo Saxon Americans in the West, quote unquote pure.
1: So when you say they are pushing this agenda daily, you're talking about the straight white men in America. Yes,
2: I'm talking about Anglo Saxons. Uh, yes. Yeah. Well, it's um, crazy, you
0: know, like like that like that the, that whole account at first seems surprising that it goes back that far, but really like it shouldn't be because if you think about it throughout history, like any society that was untamed, like queer people th- were, were thriving. You know, it's it's only when we when we try to sort of like like start putting ourselves in a box of who are we and who aren't we, that somebody, you know, raises their hand and says, I don't think this type of person is us. And I don't think that type of person is us. So yeah. it kind of makes sense.
2: You know, it was this, and it was this attitude towards these male crossdressers in the American West that really led to laws and how politicians and how the government viewed them. And ultimately, later on in the in the early 20th century, it led on to things like, Laws of indecency.
0: Yeah. um, I mean, there's been so many. (laughs) (laughs) Um,
2: (laughs) Specifically, Uh, one we know here kind of pairs up with the Red Scare is something called the Lavender Scare.
0: Which, by the way, is maybe the best historical term that has ever been created. I mean, I I don't know if it originally like was meant to be a, a like kind of a slur or not. I'm not really sure who created that term, mm-hmm. but you know, I mean, but it is like it's basically like you know, queerifying the the Red Scare and calling it the <laughs> Lavender Scare, which it, it's it's crazy because it's like. Like the the term itself like is funny, but then like but then like when you actually know what it is, it's, it's like horrifying. not funny oh, yeah. at all. Yeah. So I mean, it's 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 an I it mu- I don't know where it came from, but it makes me laugh every time, and that's probably good because you're gonna need a laugh with 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 everything that happened. Um. So yeah, i mean, you know just to like bridge it just a little bit um with what you were saying, like you know I kind of call this whole time before say 1969 which you're gonna know why that is important in a second but this whole time before 1969 i kind of call like queer prehistory um you know i think it would be kind of like you know if you think of like like you know year zero basically being like 1969 this is all the stuff that led up to to the change um You know, so change. so in America in things. particular,
1: right, is what we're referencing.
0: Yes. Yeah. yeah and, and, and we are referencing we're almost completely talking about American queer which history in important? this
1: because we yeah, have but, a really weird uh, relationship with sexuality in America that not every single yes. country struggles with,
2: which we will continue to dive in within this episode
0: that's true and it, yeah and so like so you know the i guess the the biggest thing to to point out would be um the lavender scare so like you know that basically lasted from 1945 uh, it wasn't completely eradicated from our, our law books until 1975 although it was much looser by that point and a lot of a lot of the um things weren't being followed by that point mm-hmm. um but basically it was connected to um the communist scare mccarthyism uh, if you're not familiar basically there was Absolute hysteria in Washington and therefore in the rest of the country, um, you know, about um, communists taking over um, the country by infiltrating it from within, um, and that you know that that uh, basically that capitalism you know could be easily taken over, which of course is kind of a myth. Um, you know, one of the reasons we like capitalism so much is that it, it it's not something that is easily. You know, taken over, but whatever. Um, so you know, so it was this idea that um, that within our own government there were people that were already communists and they were already like working against us and spying on us. And some of it was true because you know the Cold War kind of proved that it was um, as far as people you know spying and stuff. But a lot of it was was used as basically just propaganda to uh, take away uh, people that you thought un- undesirable. Um, it was it was essentially the modern day witch hunt. Of um of of mostly innocent people. Um, at the worst, they may have attended some meetings and maybe called themselves a communist because, you know, especially like if they were being mistreated, um, or you know, or mislabeled or something in society. Like it probably seemed pretty nice to go to a system that that you know at least in the description that they were being given was was so much more accepting um, of, of of who they were. Um, so, and it was, uh, it was actually a, um, a government led, uh, witch hunt that, um, was trying to get federal, the federal workforce, um, completely free of undesirables, including, um, queer people. uh because the thought process was that if they were queer, that they could be easily blackmailed, um. And that they probably weren't good people anyway, which was sound a lot like like what people were calling communists in general. Um, and that, you know, if we had them, if we sniffed them out and we, and we shamed them and we got them out of government and we, you know, maybe even changed, changed them back to being straight or something, that we would somehow be safer in the country. Um, and so there was, uh, uh, it says, uh, in 1947, uh, there, the US Park uh, Police initiated uh, in a, um, in in a, I guess some of the cities, um, the sex perversion elimination program targeting gay men for arrest and intimidation. A year later, Congress passed an act quote for the treatment of sexual psychopaths in the nation's capital. The Sexual law psychopaths. Does, um, I don't know, they sound yeah. fun.
1: I want to hang out with them.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Sexual psychopaths. <laughs>
0: um, um, sounds like a fun gay bar now. Right? But anyway, but... <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> um, uh, um, anyway, uh, but that law facilitated the arrest and punishment of people who acted on same-sex desire and labeled them as mentally ill. Uh, homosexuality was perceived at, at, at that time as a lurking subversive threat. Um, and uh, so uh, McCarthy, um, was a famous figure, real asshole, honestly. <laughs> yeah, um, <McCarthy> uh, sucks. <laughs> um, who basically was, you know, he, he, he just in some cases lied completely about, you know, having lists of people that, that were, you know, anti American and all this stuff. And he was just using the scare tactics to basically get, you know, get his way. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, You know, he's see. here
2: saying, you know, McCarthy implied that men who were part of the queer community were susceptible to communist recruitment because um, homo- as homosexuals, they had what he called peculiar mental twists. Just Americans <laughs> ate this up. Like, every, yeah, like I, so much of what McCarthy spewed out, Americans just ate up. And that's, you know, we had the Hollywood blacklist. We, you know, mm-hmm. we had political blacklists and. Just people were just – their lives were being just completely uplifted and destroyed mostly off of just completely backless claim.
1: Fear and scaring people can make them believe a lot of things and we got to remember that because you can – you have a lot of power over someone if they're scared of something. And that's essentially how he was able to kind of make this claim and make people believe it so much
0: yeah and it was the ignorance of who these people were and even the understanding of of sexuality and how it changes in right. people that allowed this to happen as well you know i mean if you if you if you if you don't know what it is, it seems scary. There was a letter that was sent out to all government agencies yeah i mean this, this sounds so this is, I mean it's ironically like you know these acts sound like, you know, what you hear about in, like, the worst, like, fascist, you know, like, communist, like, you know, countries' examples that they that they give or whatever. So they, in trying to stop it, they basically turned into it. Um, but, like, you know, the, the government uh, agencies got a letter that basically said, quote, the privilege of working for the United States government should not be extended to persons of dubious moral character, such as homosexuals and sex perverts. Uh, the confidence of our citizenry in their government would be severely taxed if we looked uh, with tolerance upon the the employment of such persons so basically they just riled them all out you know they just they just um it, and one thing i thought was especially like terrible was was not only did they like arrest people who were caught for you know having some kind of sexual act or or just some kind of like you know what they thought was 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 different than the normative and then they would be fired if they were a government worker but there were also a lot of people who actually uh resigned from their job because they didn't want to go through the scrutiny of of their sexuality Mm -hmm. and they actually went to the trouble of of looking through those files and making sure that nobody resigned for anything but uh, like a good reason like and if you didn't have like a good reason yeah like a you know like an acceptable reason whatever reason you gave like they would like try they would basically interrogate you to say you know well was it you know was it because you might actually be gay and if you said yes again (laughs) you know they would punish you and they would make sure you'd never work again in government and 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 they, you know they would do things like go to your job uh, your future jobs or whatever um and try to you know have an intervention or whatever like they'd tell your new boss that you were gay and that and that And that, you know, did they know that? And are they okay with that and all that? And they'll get you fired again. (laughs) Like like they were just after these people. They didn't want them to exist. They didn't want them to have any way of like supporting themselves. And unfortunately, it led a lot of people to killing themselves and to, um, you know, hiding their heads in the sand for another decade or two um, because they were scared that, you know, further um, agitation would make their lives even worse or would affect their families. So, so this effectively like suppressed an entire generation of, of people from questioning or from at least being open about it, um, in public, especially at work, especially with their family. Um, you know, so it, so know that, you know, being gay and the whole movement, it didn't just come out of nowhere. It was being actively suppressed, you know, from, from the beginning.
2: It's hard to ignore the irony that you pointed out, how while trying to stop communism and fascism, they kind of took on attributes of those two things. And, um, for example, there's um, a man we'll talk about later on, um, Henry Harry Hay Jr., who's noted as um, American gay rights activist, communist and labor advocate who um, founded the first um, kind of sustained uh, gay rights group in America. And later on in that group's uh, existence he left because he was part of the communist party and while early on in his career while trying to join the uh, united states communist party they rejected him because the party didn't want gay people in the communist party (laughs) and so he basically kind of shoved that all down and ended up marrying a, a female member of the party to try and basically you know, cover up his sexuality so that he could be part of the Communist Party um, and then later oh, on he ended up, like I said, he got kicked out of his own gay rights organization because he was a communist. Um, so it's just this this irony in there that you just can't be ignored.
1: No, not that type of communism, this type of
0: communism. <laughs> <That's-> <laughs>
2: right, literally though.
0: <laughs> there, there's a great quote um, when they're talking about like basically sifting out, like, how, how to sift out gay people who didn't just come forward or weren't just caught. Like, they were obsessed with this. And, uh, and, and the, the line from this, uh, it's Senator Smith um, asked a um, psychologist um, quote, so there's no quick test, like an x-ray oh that discloses, discloses these things? Oh, no. Goodness. I mean, Wow. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, imagine an x-ray, you know, oh, by the way, like you're healthy, but you're gay. Sorry.
2: <laughs> like, I want- a like, rainbow on your femur bone, so
1: yeah. you're actually gay. Exactly. We saw it on the I, x-ray.
2: I wonder imagine. what that would. So we're moving into a black mirror future right now. <laughs> I wonder what Absolutely. that would do to society if there was literally some kind of a, you know, things you could attach to your baby's head and it could determine What their gender and what their sexuality would, you know, turn out to be as they grew up. Like
0: clearly, they're actually trying to do that. Are Um, they really? Yeah. There's there's theories that there are um, certain genes that make you more susceptible to having like, I don't know, like I guess like like more likely to be gay or something like that. I don't think Mm -hmm. it's. I don't really. I really don't think that the science is that great on it. But there is some theory. There is a little bit of evidence to support it. Um, and the scary thing might be that you know in the future, um, you know there might be a a, a time of eradicating um, people who are different, beca- you know, and and they can yeah. actually tell pretty early. Um, the uh, so you know, so you know just just to move it on a little bit, like in in the the one of the really important pivotal moments that I don't think a lot of people really realize of why like uh, you know the queer community have been so like. Uh, Um, treated mistreated and 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 made to feel like criminals was because in 1952 um, the american psychiatric association um, they actually um, gave the official classification of homosexuality as quote sociopathic personality disturbance Um, so they actually fell into this idea um, that that it was Something that was a mental disorder, and so um, you know, and and like at the time, I I understand they thought that they were actually doing a service um, because if it was something that was like a disorder, the idea was, well, maybe we can fix these people. You know, maybe we shouldn't just throw them Mm. out. Maybe we can sort of rehabilitate them. But what it did was it really stigmatized and and, um, this entire generation of people, not just as people questioning who they were. But that there was actually that they were actually sick and that legally, you know, or ended up becoming legally, you know, they could be even institutionalized and all kinds of different things.
2: It's interesting, too, because um, just to really show how far like branching this whole idea was, um, even during World War II in Great Britain, there was um, and who was it? He was the guy who broke Enigma.
0: It's are you are you talking about the the um the guy that the movie um, oh, was based Alan on?
2: Alan Turing, um, yeah. who was basically employed by the British government um, with uh, some other uh, mathematicians and scientists to break the German Enigma so that you know they could figure out what the Germans were doing. He was became a known homosexual he ended up by law being punished for it and it was either he could spend time in prison or he would have to take these pills that would literally castrate him oh my god and he took these pills and it just destroyed him and this is the man that basically beat the germans behind the scenes he invented the uh, he was the godfather of the computer um and yeah, genius um absolute genius who saved countless lives Um, But because he was gay, the company that, or the company, the government that he worked for, and the government that he served, and the people he served, literally took away his sexuality. And this is documented
0: in the movie "The Imitation Game." Yes, great, great movie.
2: Um, He is played, he is depicted by uh, Benedict Cumberbatch.
1: I think it's important to remember that there are very real consequences for created or artificial stigmas or ideas. Um, the world, unfortunately, is missing a lot of really amazing, smart people, because we decided to normalize this hatred and bigotry towards gay people and queer people.
0: I mean, what else is, is, you know, America, but like the freedom to sort of be yourself to, you know, to to, that, you know, we understand that having different differences of opinion actually make us stronger, you know, where somebody, somebody will have an idea that you would have never thought of in a million years, because they're coming from a completely different background. Like, you know, to me, that's like, patriotism like in a nutshell.
1: I so agree. That was one of my first thoughts when we were doing this episode Um, because I know that there is a lot of um, people when they think of America that either think of it as a very open place or they think of it as uh, really, you know, uptight Christian country, whatever. But I'm like, it does seem so American to me that you can be who you want to be and love who you want to love and everyone mind your own business. And that it's so weird to me that We have strayed from that because I agree, Curtis, it totally seems so American to be able to do what you want to do. It's weird. I don't know. I don't understand how we strayed so far from that.
2: Similar around this time in the late uh, 1940s, there was this committee that was put together Um, And they issued a report called The Employment of Homosexuals and Other Sex Perverts in Government, which that language in itself is just
1: (sighs) its so intentional. Like,
2: like, there's just no care. There's no it is just straight to the point of like, you can read that title and you know what the report's going to be. Exactly. Um, but the basically,
0: government still does that to this day, you know, I mean, every, every it bill is. has, you know, it's the, you know, Make America Great Again Bill or something and it's like, well, we'll see. Let's read this. <laughs> you know, like I'm not exactly sure if mm-hmm. that title's accurate, but I'm pretty sure I know what it's going to say.
2: What the committee found within this report was during the preceding 3 years, close to 5,000 homosexuals had been detected in the military and civilian workforces. This ultimately led to Dwight D. Eisenhower's 1953 executive order number 10450, Security Requirements for Government Employment. The order explicitly added sexuality to the criteria used to determine suitability for federal employment, um, which ultimately banned gay men and lesbians from all jobs in U.S. government, federal, local, state, and trans people. Yeah. And I
0: mean, it basically, it basically I mean, the, just the said this the queer if, community. If Yeah, I mean, if there's anybody different, we don't want you in government. That's basically what it said. Yeah,
1: because you're a security Uh, threat, apparently.
0: Historians estimated that somewhere between five thousand and I mean, it says and up to tens of thousands of gay workers lost their jobs. Um, But I mean, and the reason that the it's it's hard to estimate is because like the official report says something like five thousand or something that they had you know successfully like rooted out or whatever. But but it's so hard to know like how many people just left their jobs, how many people never got into government, how many people stayed in whatever government job they were and didn't try to advance because they were afraid of being further scrutinized. You know, it was a really a time where people kind of just, you know, put their head down and 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 hope that nobody would notice them.
2: You know, it's interesting because and it's it's marked here that and if you look back there's a reason we know about the red scare and not really the lavender scare and With the Red Scare, you know, people who were suspected communists were just lambasted. It was public. Everyone was publicly ridiculed. But with the Lavender Scare specifically, it was kind of kept quiet. And maybe that was because the government didn't want to admit that they had queer people working with them. They thought it would make them look bad.
0: It was also because they were more successful at rooting out gay people than they were of communists. Like it turned out the whole root scare that that started out – you know, had so, so little proof. And there was so few, so few, so few actual examples that they could point to after all these investigations, after all these people had lost their, their jobs and their lives that, you know, eventually people started saying, you know, BS, you know, like, you know, that you prove it, uh, which is what they should have said to begin with when McCarthy started, you know, pointing fingers at people. But then again, there were these queer people who, who actually were queer, they were, I mean, they were correct that they were queer. They just weren't correct that that it was something, you know, wrong about it. And Mm -hmm. so they actually were so successful with it that it, it lasted much longer than the Red Scare, you know, really affected the majority of Americans
2: and i guess maybe that makes sense too with the government and you know mccarthy had to be louder about the red scare to make it perceived as a more you know true and real threat
0: yeah absolutely and and just like a quick side note we're going to like jump to modern times i just thought this was a great little um uh, piece of information in 2020 trump actually was the person that appointed the first openly gay person his name was richard or is, I'm not sure if he's still there, who knows, but uh, Richard Grinnell um, to lead the intelligence community, w- community, which was the same institution that persecuted uh, the people for being gay during the Lavender Scare um, until the executive order um, was signed to end um, Eisenhower's executive order in 1995 by Bill Clinton. And so, like, officially, like, the whole thing didn't officially, officially end until 1995 when when it was actually, like, taken out of the books, but Up until 1975, at least it was it was somewhat being used in government.
2: Let's move a little bit into how they were kind of shamed and how they were considered mentally ill from so many different standpoints and so many different people.
0: Yeah, you know, one of the perceptions I think from a lot of straight people, um, especially if you were you know grew up in the 90s or something where they had like the "Don't ask, don't tell" thing, was basically like okay, you you can be who you are, just don't put it in my face or whatever. Like and and like and and that i mean it's a dumb argument anyway but but like but even if it were true like you have to understand that throughout history like gay people have been like like tricked out of coming you know coming out and and basically shamed for doing it uh, up until you know the pride movement started later on but like at first it was like an obsession of the government to to out people um, and not just in, in government jobs. Uh, there was something called the Comstock Act um, which basically gave the USPS which is still actually in, in effect by the way I believe, um, gives the USPS um, the authority to um, stop obscenity from going through the mail uh, even though it's in effect the, um, the idea of what is obscene has changed quite a bit over time and continues to change. Um, so like at the time in the 1950s and 60s the USPS was actually in the business of opening people's mail who they thought were maybe <laughs> guilty of of these illegal acts of being homosexual um, or or being obscene, and, and whether it meant being trans or or anything that they considered to be obscene. Um, and when they did this, they would actually um, arrest people uh, for sending private mail to somebody else that had something obscene, and they can legally get away with this.
2: Could you imagine, like in today's context, you're a guy sexting with a guy, you're a girl sexting with a girl, whatever, and you can be arrested for what you say in those text messages. Like, that's wild.
0: Yeah, it's, it's, it's you know, one of the scariest, um, you know, possible outcomes that, that you know, the government um, monitoring, you know, being able to legally monitor Americans, um, how, you know, outcome that it could happen. Um, and it's, and there's definitely a precedent. Um, of, of them doing it with the mail in a much less efficient way um, and, uh, and getting away with it for a long time. Uh, you know, thankfully, there were a lot of people that fought against it um, based on ideas of um, constitutionality, um, if for nothing else, um, which, which slowed it down or stopped it and actually allowed um, gay people to a little bit of freedom. To, um, to express themselves, especially in private, you know, in private mail, and things like that. I just um, want to
1: quickly point out the irony of the U.S. government, you know, making official government documents deeming these people as perverts, yet they were so obsessed with people's sex life that they were ripping open their private letters to figure out what was going <laughs> on. Like,
2: no why are
1: you so obsessed? I, it was a little ironic.
2: Well, because for those Anglo-Saxon Christians, it went against their beliefs, and their beliefs were often pretty uh, paralleled with the law.
1: (laughs) And um, then that little thing called church and separation of state just goes away.
0: Yeah, I mean, so many early laws were made, um, you know, in direct relation to people's religious beliefs, um, which makes sense, I mean, that they would do that. Um, But in America, you know, we're not supposed to... We're not supposed to do that. It doesn't matter, you know, if if you're of the same religion or not. Um, you're not supposed to have jurisdiction over somebody else's private life, um, you know, just because you don't think it's correct. Um, but a lot of that thing, a lot of those things were never actually enforced or, you know, a lot of gay people didn't want to come out and, and say that their rights were being uh, taken away.
2: Well, it's interesting, too, because looking back, you have down here, you know, back in the high middle ages, homosexual acts at least seem to be tolerated or just completely ignored by the Christian church throughout Europe. And it really wasn't until the later end of the 12th century that also in this hostility towards homosexuality started. How that started, I don't know. We I think we talked on a previous episode or maybe just talking while we were discussing this episode that, you know, with the Bible, there's a whole thing where a man shall not lay with another man, but there's evidence that points towards the original words of that section of the Bible will say a man shall not lay with a child. Um, and so at some point rather than pedophilia, it got switched to homosexuality.
1: But also, I mean, if you go to any art museum, you know, or you go, if you have any interest in art from way back in the middle ages, in the high middle ages, um, there's, a, it's a very free, you know, type of sexuality. There's women laying with other women and men laying and everyone yeah. laying together. And it, clearly wasn't that big of a deal back then if there was paintings and paint or maybe it maybe it was and you know they were being difficult apparently but there there's so many paintings of that art was very uh, seemed sexually fluid back then so it is interesting at one point they were like no more of that
0: yeah and you know at some point too you know america really had a switch um on for a lot of different um on a lot, a lot of different topics you'll find that you know science really started taking over as sort of the de facto like judge of of what should be a law what should what you know what it, um, shouldn't be outlawed um and you know rather than necessarily just saying, well, it's in the Bible, like you had to say, well you know well well why why does it the fact that it's in the Bible have anything to do with this person who who may or may not be of your religion you know so slowly things like um uh you know psychiatrists and and uh, uh you know they they started really putting in their two cents with their studies. Um, And it actually did change how laws were, you know, were, were being made. Um, Again, it was sort of thought of as a mercy and a more like civilized way of, of being, but still it was under the guise of, you know, let's help this mentally ill person, not maybe this person is just a different, having a different experience than I am.
2: For people who are against, um, at least, you know, back in the time that we're speaking of, Um, When it comes to homosexuality and, you know, the queer community, so many of the arguments against it were based off of non-procreativity and, you know, basically things that just went against the natural selection of humans of this is what benefits humanity is man and woman having sex. So, you know, why should you be allowed to do this like this is not normal?
0: Exactly. Yeah. I mean, you know, again, it goes back to that practicality thing of, you know, it's like, well, you know, well, why would you, you know, want to have sex in any way, but, you know, but in, you know, the, the, you know, the man being on top or whatever, like, like, that was like, like, there, there are, there were like, a lot of social norms that, that, you know, were being broken by, by even like changing sex positions and all that it would be like, like you could be arrested like for a woman being on top and during sex or some, you know, stuff like that I was reading about, like, you know, there are all these ideas of like, you should definitely do it like this, you know? And it was like, Mm -hmm. oh, great. You know, we're, we're really being like super free in this, in this new land of America with all, all these rules about what we can do Mm -hmm. and what we can't,
2: you know, and it was really in the end of the, um, 1800s and the beginning of the 1900s when, Psychology and the study of the brain and the study of the mind, and, you know, the study of people really kind of started to take off more. And you had people like Richard von Kraft Ebbing, um, in uh, he wrote, I guess it was a medical article or a book, um, Psychopathia Sexualis, where he describes it, uh, homosexuality as a uh, degenerative sickness. But then you have people like Sigmund Freud and how do you say that, Havelock Ellis?
1: H A V E L O C K if you want to look it up. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Havelock have Ellis sounds right to yeah, me. Yeah, we'll say Havelock Ellis, like um where they really both adapted more acceptable stances on homosexuality and the queer community.
0: Yeah, and then you know, and then and then jump forward a little bit and basically the um American Psychiatric Association gave these these uh, recommendations um and uh, and and they had all these studies like starting in the fifties. Um, where they were the first to question um, these ideas of, like, homosexuals being um, anti-adjusted uh, to society. And this is a quote from one of the articles. Is, that, um, is
2: anti-adjusted a term basically describing, like, that they won't assimilate?
0: Yeah, kind of like like there was this idea that like in order to be a good adult, uh, you needed to adjust or assimilate to society. And if you couldn't do that, there was something mentally wrong with you. Yeah. and with, especially with you,
1: with you, it's not in a society, which is crazy. It's like mm, I'm sorry you didn't come with us when we changed our mind about the blue and pink thing so you're not <laughs> interested <Right. adjusted laughs> anymore. Sorry right you know, there's, especially...
0: a, there's a great episode of The Simpsons where, where Homer uh, accidentally puts his white shirt in, in with uh, something pink. And like, it comes out as a pink shirt and it's his only shirt and he has to wear it to work. And, and he actually gets written up at work, uh, for like, <laughs> for like being like, a you know, a crazy hippie, like, you know, trying to change, change the, you know, the norm or whatever. And he's like, he's like, you know, I forgot who was supposed to have done it, but like, you know, my daughter put it in there. Like, <laughs> like well, good it's old Simpson satire.
2: Episode.
0: Yeah. <laughs> you
2: know, it's interesting. You know, you say, you know, it's, it's your responsibility as you know an adult in America to assimilate and especially while we're talking about sexuality. And like I said, when so many of the arguments against it were, you know, the need to procreate, and I'm sure they would argue that, you know, it's your responsibility as a human, as, you know, someone who's part of the society to be a part of procreation. And by, you know, sleeping with a man or, you know, sleeping with someone of the same sex, you are not being a responsible adult.
0: There's a great line in the movie Milk um, that um – um which is about a, a gay icon, Harvey Milk. Yeah. Um, but, uh, there's a great line that is, is meant to be completely tongue in cheek. Like it's not meant to be taken seriously at all, but like basically the, the person who ends up, um, assassinating him near the end of the movie and, and did in real life, um, ask him a question. He says, he says, you know, you know, can a man, or, you know, can two men, um, ha- have, have, you know, procreate, can they have a child and, and Harvey Milk's line in the movie is no, but we keep trying, (laughs) 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 which is, you know, I I hope he actually said that in real life, but probably didn't, but it, 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 it's hilarious. It's, it's a wonderful line. (laughs) (laughs) Um, There was a a landmark study by Evelyn Hooker uh, who studied 30 homosexual males and 30 heterosexual males that she recruited uh, through community organizations. The two groups were matched for age IQ and education and uh, and none of the men were in therapy at the time of the study. So Dr. Hooker administered three uh, tests, which uh, projective tests, which which measured people's patterns of thoughts, attitudes, and emotions. Um, and then basically she turned it over to um, independent research company um, and and had them rate the overall adjustment of the of of the of who were considered to be the most healthy of of, of that group. Um, on a on a scale from one to pi- uh, one to five of being one to five, yeah, one to five of, of how adjusted are they or whatever. Yeah. and and basically, and then and then after that, after they did that, they said, okay, which ones of these people are heterosexual and which ones are homosexual? And what it really what it proved was that there actually was no significant difference of adjustment um, between a healthy homosexual and a healthy heterosexual. Mm-hmm. And it was and it was one of the first studies that actually question this idea that a lot of people had just taken for granted
2: you know and the, and the test they did they did one called the thematic apperception test which is that stereotypical cliche thing where look at this ink blot and tell me what you see and then there's another one called it's literally make a picture story and it's called the maps test and it's um people look at a picture and they have to tell a story based off that picture and like you said oh, okay. these people conducted these tests and they so they had two independent experts who did the first test and then they had another independent expert who did the other one who were they were you know they got experts for the two specific tests and as you said by the end they couldn't determine who was homosexual and who was heterosexual any you know with any more accuracy than just chance So the determination by the end was that basically maybe
0: they're just normal people.
2: Yeah, like there, there is no, (laughs) there is no psychological difference between heterosexual and homosexual people. They still, you know, everyone can still think the same. Everyone can still have the same cognitive functions. It's just, you know, the sexuality is different.
1: I do want to make sure we mention too, and Curtis, you have some great quotes on here about this that. Just because, you know, obviously, yes, gay people, queer people, surprise, surprise, they can think like normal people. Um, but that's not to say that in the queer community you won't find instances of, you yeah. know, mental illness or depression and things like that because of the fact that it creates a lot of trauma and stress. Mm-hmm. If you are living yeah. a, a life where, where you can't be yourself or you're sent to conversion therapy or you lose your job because, you know, of your um, the way that you choose to love someone. So um it, there, and right, Correlation does not equal causation. So
0: mm-hmm. we,
1: we probably do find, and I, we see it with, unfortunately, suicide rates and things of that nature, um, higher levels of some type of mental illness. But that's not because if you're born gay, you are also born depressed. That might just be because you are, have a lot of stresses and trauma surrounding the community. You're exactly. So yeah. I think that's really important to mention.
2: Um, A nice thing, too, uh, you know, I say a nice thing um, uh, because of the work of Evelyn Hooker and uh, because of the stances made by Freud and many other uh, people studying the human mind, the American Psychiatrist Association actually apologized for mislabeling queer people as mentally ill in 2019. Um, So the fact that they were able to go back and be like, yo we were wrong (laughs) we really messed up (laughs) was and
0: we're gonna we're gonna find that like over and over in 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 what we're talking about today in that like it it takes a long time and it's probably too late in a a lot of cases because a lot of damage has been done but at the same time like people do feel legitimately sorry you know these are people that like in some cases were the people who who did made these judgments you know 50 years ago and at the end of their life you know, one of their biggest regrets is, is 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 making a mistake that, you know, caused so much damage.
1: I mean, yeah, it, it causes generational trauma um, when these kinds of things happen. So hopefully now that they have – in 2019, that was literally last year, yeah. even though it feels like it was Which 20 wild. billion years ago because 2020 has been a groundhog day. Um <sighs> That, like, that, that will last a long time. That apology is very important and it goes a long way, but there's a lot more work to do to fix the damage that that caused. They did just go away because of that apology, like you guys were saying.
0: Thankfully, you know, people did start speaking up. Studies did start backing up what people knew to be true um, who were queer, that, you know, that, that there was nothing wrong with them, that, that they, you know, that, that they basically were just like anyone else.
2: And... Honestly, a big part of that, and we talk about the trauma that some of these people have faced and some of that trauma and the struggles and the issues that the queer community saw that, you know, they didn't really have answers for was really something that provoked um, Alfred Kinsey into creating the Kinsey scale. If you haven't seen it, there's a movie called Kinsey. And Alfred Kinsey is played by um, Liam Neeson, and it's a fantastic film. But Alfred Kinsey was an American biologist, actually, and a professor of entomology and zoology and sexology in the 1940s. And he, his a lot of his early research was honestly on like I think like fruit flies or some kind of a bug, um, and then he his interest quickly turned into human sexuality which led him to writing two, I guess he probably had more books, but the two kind of big ones that are known are Sexual Behavior in the Human Male as well as Sexual Behavior in the Human Female.
0: Uh, Basically, it, it tried to measure a person's overall balance of heterosexuality and homosexuality. And what it really challenged was that you know that that the sexuality isn't simply a binary and what that means and I'm by the way I did not know what the word binary meant until I was studying for this mm-hmm. um, I, I was my whole life I went out went, went, went without knowing uh, what it meant basically binary means it's either one or the other it's two things right, right? Um, you know and so you know it's either you know male female that's that would be a binary that's an example but or you can be a one or a zero just like you get the binary in a computer um, but it can never be anything else. And so, that, what this really questioned was whether or not it was simply a binary, or maybe could it be sort of a, a gradual—you um, know—from from zero to six. You could fall anywhere on the spectrum. Uh, maybe you know, maybe the maybe nobody or very few people were exclusively one way or the other. And that, and and he really went to you know great lengths to to make sure that he would test this out. Um, and there's a great quote that Kinsey wrote saying, um, uh, males do not represent two discrete populations, heterosexual and homosexual. The world is not to be divided into sheep and goats, like meaning there's a lot of animals in, in the wild and that, you know, it doesn't have to be one or the other.
2: You know, we look at all these, uh, people who studied sexuality and studied gender, you know, at that time. And from my research of, um, Kinsey and uh, the movie that I watched uh, based on his life Um, when he was younger he his father was a devout evangelical Christian just you know sexuality was just so so like on the edge of you know life for him and he was I think it was part of the Boy Scouts when he was younger and um, you know he would get erections and he would get the urge to masturbate and he was like literally told to pray it away like, you know, Jesus will take those urges away from you. That's the devil. And so throughout his entire life, you know, he struggled with this and this is something he had to face. And when he was a professor in college, he would get these students coming up to him, you know, asking him these questions. Um, and he just had more and more and more students. And he was really kind of lampasted across the entire country for these stances he took on sexuality because both he and his wife were so... Um, even probably for some people for today's standards, they were so open with sexuality and gender and especially, you know, the older generation of the country, they just weren't prepared for that. But younger generations were just eating it up because they, you know, felt ridiculed for the, these sexualities and these, you know, things that they were feeling that up until that point they were told were wrong. They were told that they shouldn't be feeling that, that if they were feeling that. They were sick,
1: which is incredibly traumatizing. Um, if once if you grow up being told that, I mean, I grew up in a very uh, strict religion slash cult, and my entire life I was taught that you know it's bad for women. To enjoy sex or things like that. Um, if you're taught that your whole life, then when you finally do start participating in that or when you find that with your partner, it can literally create issues with you and your partner. You can't enjoy that intimacy because you were told it's bad. So we told an entire community of queer people that their views and, on sexuality and who they choose to love and how they choose to do that was wrong. So even if they're with their partners and things like that, it it invades the home, it invades your mind. And it's, um, it's it was, it's, Very intrusive into someone's life when you tell them that.
2: And it was around this time, and in the 1940s, and in the 1950s, um, obviously, we're coming out of World War II, but at the time, there were a lot of younger people moving into cities. And a part of that was just coming back from the war, wanting change. they wanted to go and, you know, look for opportunity, especially um, because during World War II, you know, they had to make all these big factories in these urban areas, and... That was where work was so you get these soldiers returning and you know with city life came vibrance came you know bars dance clubs all this stuff and with that it came it brought on a visibility for the gay community um scrutiny ultimately and opinions scrutiny and opinions <laughs> yes um, but ultimately this led to kind of the onslaught of protests and run-ins with the law that the queer community had in which ultimately we're leading it to now is the queer revolution of 1969
0: yeah absolutely and and you know i think it's really important to to we have a couple more things just to cover um before before we get to stonewall but we are getting to stonewall and i know i know like a lot of people you know they pretty much think that it started in 1969 but as you can already see like you know there are all these elements that led up to it and you know in starting in world war uh, after world war ii you know there was a whole new idea of like of like freedom of suburbia of, mm-hmm. you know, what, what, you know, that, that you had to have, you know, what's it called? Like 2.5 kids and all this stuff, you know? Right. And so, so, you know, so, so there was some really, there was a huge shift basically with the beginning of of baby boomers being born um, of, of, uh, of a lot of changes, and a lot of ideas about what a family should be and what it shouldn't be. Um, and at the same time, you know, you had a lot of gay people that were, um, you know, that took part in World War II that were, you know, that were secretly in the military that, you know, that, that were just as proud as anyone else to be American. And when they got home, they couldn't be who they wanted to be. Um, you know, so for example, uh, and yet, and yet they tried though. And for example, Mm -hmm. like in, you know, one of the earliest examples of, of, you know, gay people basically being proud of who they were and sort of like congregating without, without much, um, You know, shame um, was in New Orleans starting in 1959. There was a thing called the Gay Carnival, which actually still goes today and actually is still celebrated today, um, where these were were these elaborate balls that that, uh, the queer community would throw. And what was great about it was they actually figured out that they could hide amongst Mardi Gras. Uh, and because Mardi Gras had this, 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 uh, this rule that would change the law just for like the day or the weekend that, that said that you could dress in unusual clothing and that you could wear masks and you could wear makeup and all these different things that, and there were all these things that a lot of people in the queer community wanted to, to try. And, and so on this day it was sort of like queer Halloween, I guess, where, you know, where like you could basically blend in and everybody was kind of like uh, more accepting, you know, a little bit, a little bit more strange, a little more queer. Um, I, and that's so, like one like, of my
1: new favorite fun facts of like, stick it to the man of yeah, like, okay, well, we're going to do your parade, but we're loving it the whole time. Like, right. I <laughs> love that so much. I'm so happy I know this now.
0: <laughs> and, and so and so that went pretty well for a couple of years. And, and then in uh, 1962, uh, the the crew of Yuga's ball was raided by police. Um, Ninety eight people were arrested for disturbing the peace. Uh, probably because because they were also you know queer and and that's probably what really was being called out on.
2: Mm-hmm. But not, um, not necessarily loud and <laughs> rambunctious you know. Right,
0: right. Uh, and, uh, and and and. Uh, and, and Basically, it kind of broke up the public um, viewing of, of these balls for many years, but these things were still being done um, in private at people's private houses from then on. It became well, a yearly tradition. There's a great story about, um, I guess, one of the bar owners named Miss Dixie um, uh, heard that that all these people had been arrested Um um, for you know, you know, ninety-eight people had been arrested, and she actually took she she took all the money out of her till and and went out and bailed them all out. Is the story that is how the story goes? And, oh yeah, and say, saying something like that she couldn't have her boys like like you know in jail or whatever, and like I thought I, that that image of somebody like opening one of those big. Uh, you know, cash registers and just pulling the money out and like, you know, taking it down to the, to the jail to, I'm to, gonna to save my get people. everyone out. Yeah. Like that was just like, you know, so cool or whatever, you know, so anyway, that was one of the first examples of, of it happening uh, in San Francisco. Police raided a uh, rated a place in 1969 on uh, 1965 on New Year's day. Uh, costume ball that had been formed by the newly new it was the newly formed council on on religion and the and the homosexual um, uh, officers sought to photograph all the intent the attendees and they ended up making two arrests. But the crazy thing was, you know, they are, they photographed them in order to like like put them sort of like in a you know like a a list or whatever. We, they're always trying to make people into lists. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's and, a good way and, to divide them. Yeah. And it was a great, and there was a great quote in this article talking about it where they said, you know, like, like, you know, we get that these bars were like kind of crappy places. They were seedy, you know, they were like, they were kind of like, where you really wouldn't want to be unless you had to be. And, and, but what they said was that, that even though they were like this, they ended up being like our homes because Mm -hmm. they were, they, they were, a lot of them were thrown out of their homes. And so sometimes these bars were even more of a place that felt like their home than their actual home. And they said, quote, for police to invade these spaces really fought against the notion of any kind of self-determination and safety for us. I mean, essentially, it pissed them off. Mm. You know, it was, it was sort of like like their, their last refuge, and, and it was constantly being, um, you know, raided and, and, and attacked by, by the, that day's police. Um, 1959, a group of transgender transgender women, lesbians, and gay men fought back against police uh, harassment, and what what turned into a melee outside Cooper Donuts in downtown Los Angeles. Um, this was believed to be the first uprising against police harassment. So this is actually the first time they fought back. So you're kind of starting to, mm-hmm. you know, see you know see the government kind of bubble, um, or sorry, excuse me, fighting back against the the government starting to kind of bubble. Um, and I just 19- want to say. Um, yeah, go ahead.
2: And you touched on earlier, but the reason we're diving into this stuff that really not many people recognize when it comes to gay rights because there's so many people that reference, you know, the the first brick that was thrown at Stonewall. And that's the start of, you know, the fight for gay rights in America. Um, But far before that, you know, there were people that were fighting. There were people that were taking stances, starting groups. And, you know, it, it started, you know with even small things, you know, even to small acts of defiance, you know, where they were having these parties and they were having these parades, you know, against the, you know, the will of the government. Um and so it's I I'm just saying this again to reiterate that Stonewall was not the beginning. Stonewall was you know it was kind of a a it landmark. It was a catalyst. Um but the fuse was lit far before. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Nothing comes from nothing. You know, there's, there's all, there's always, there's always stuff that led up to whatever you've read about. Um, if you've had the privilege of reading about it, um, which most people haven't. Um, and I think even a lot of like gay people uh, or queer people, um, you know, don't really know how far back a lot of these things Mm -hmm. went.
2: It's interesting Um, too, uh, because, um, with, you know, we're talking about these extravagant parties and these, you know, new Orleans parades and all this. And, it even started in the in the roaring 20s, the 1920s, for example, and to show that, you know, it's spanned across the country. You know, we're talking about San Francisco, Louisiana, and it even spans races. Um, Basically, so,
0: you know, they were being picked on, too. You know, I mean, they were being mm-hmm. being really singled out by by police and by and by, you know, governments and all that, too. It wasn't being, necessarily I mean, being
1: hunted down.
0: Yeah. yeah, exactly. They weren't, you know, they weren't being left alone. So, you know, it, it like. It it's kind of goes to say that, you know, that had they been a little smarter, they would have just kind of let them be and probably would have taken much longer for any kind of revolution to happen. But mm-hmm. because they kept pushing and kept invading and kept, you know, hunting people down, making it impossible for them to live the way that they wanted to live, you know, then it it, it started boiling over.
1: Well, and uh, I really quickly want to say, too, I, I have some some. Straight people in my life I know that like to talk a lot about well, why does there have to be quote unquote safe spaces for you know queer people or why are there queer clubs like shouldn't there be straight clubs and like everything's a straight club like we just <laughs> mm-hmm. we just listed off exactly why, so it's easy to make jokes about safe spaces or you know well, then we're gonna have a straight club or whatever, but um straight hetero you know straight people made it so that they nowhere was a safe place for these people so this is why. We're telling and we're explaining right now why it was extremely important for these individuals to be able to have a community and feel safe because we didn't let them feel safe.
0: Right, and I and I hope that you know gay bars and gay organiza- organizations stay around for all of time. Um you know, there's a lot of evidence that actually they're they're being less frequent and less used now. Um but it's actually a good thing because it's actually a sign that that gay people are feeling um, more part of general society and, and they're being accepted in, in a a wider variety of, um, you know, of, of bars and stuff. But, you know, the other reason that a lot of people, even in modern, more accepting times go to gay bars is because they want to meet people who, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. they, they, they might date, they might have sex with, you know, just like straight people do. But if you, you know, if you imagine as a straight person walking into, um, a bar and like, you know, 10% of the people that you're, even attracted to even have the possibility of being into your sex, you know, I mean, like, like you wouldn't, you wouldn't go to that bar because you wouldn't have any, any chance of really striking up a, a meaningful relationship, you know, so it, so it kind of cut through some of some of that stuff. It was also protective. It, you know, yeah, it, 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 it was it, it exactly. It was, it was dangerous.
1: And if, for a gay person, if a gay man goes up to a, a straight man and, and hits mm-hmm. on him, and that guy doesn't take it very well, that could end mm-hmm. uh, very violently. So this exactly. was quite literally, yes, a safe, a safe space to go and enjoy yourself and, and date people.
2: Um, I mean, you look at you know modern times once again to translate it translated to something that we do with today: dating apps. You know, you've got. You know, apps like Grinder that's specifically made for the heard, gay community, which I, I don't know how popular Grinder is. That's just like the first one I could think of. It's really,
0: really popular.
1: I don't know if this is, a, if I'm making this up in my head, but someone told me, I guess I could Google it, that there's an app for a lesbian woman called Blunder. <laughs> so it's Blunder and Grinder. And I don't know if that's true or not, I mean, but I kind of like We've
2: got that. farmersonly.com, <laughs> right. Christian right, Media, very specific.
0: Uh, well but but you know the crazy thing about grinder, though is is you know, especially like when I first started you know dating guys and stuff and coming out and all that, like like grinder was actually really important. and as sleazy yeah. as yeah. grinder is, and like, I don't exactly recommend it, especially not now, but 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 as sleazy as it as it is, like it also was really helpful because, you know what I'm it, it not only is a dating app, but it also says, you know, like, These are the amount of people that are around you within like a two mile radius or something like that. So if you're in if you're in like any kind of populated area, you you quickly realize that like if you felt alone, you're really not alone because Mm -hmm. literally next door is somebody else, you know. And so so like like it actually it had it it served a great purpose and it also which I think is what maybe you mentioned it right now after we're talking about the bars um, being less frequent and what it actually did was. It made it so that you didn't have to necessarily go to a CD bar to, to right. meet somebody, you know, like minded or whatever. As far as your sexuality, like, it meant that you could, you know, you could be anywhere and and you could find out, you know, that there was somebody that was like you that you could talk to that you could go on a date with or whatever. That you know, that was really close and 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 that was really important to me when I when I first started questioning mm-hmm. all that stuff.
2: When you look at even um, like how you know people in the queer community feel like, you know, they, it wasn't safe to go out and they had to, you know, go to these seedy places and, you know, kind of had to stay in the darkness. And you look at, for example, a movie like Philadelphia, how, because Tom Hanks's character had to, you know, go to these seedy places to, you know, I mean, quite frankly, enjoy sexuality and be with a partner. He ended up contracting HIV. Um, and so, you know, throughout all of this, it's just this dangerous thing that people, of the queer community had to deal with, but it's places yeah. like these bars and places like these parades and these house parties that they could go and, and feel safe and, you know, have a place to express themselves amongst their peers. Um, yeah. When
0: you, when you cast somebody in the shadows and you make it, you make it something that is, is like you, that you judge as being wrong or whatever, like you're, you're automatically making it worse, like you know if you if you stigmatize something and you make them do it in secret, something that for which feels natural, that they're going to do no matter what you do, you make it so much worse. you know what I mean like I, I would think that like like if you were a parent of a of somebody who was gay, um, or let's just say queer, a parent of somebody who was queer, um, you know, you would feel so much better now that your child could, you know, instead of having to go to a seedy bar to meet somebody that they could fall in love with that, you know, they might just talk to somebody on campus, or they might just talk, they might just be at a, you know, at a, at a coffee shop or something. And they, and they would see that somebody was right next to them that could relate to them or whatever. Like they didn't, you know, it's like, that would be such a comfort, uh, I Mm -hmm. would think to, to any parent. And, you know, so if you're, if you're out there and you're dealing with that, like, like you know, you should really look at these things as technology or whatever, as like a real help, and not be like, "Oh, you're gay. Well, I'm definitely gonna take your phone away or whatever." Like, <laughs> like you're yeah. making it so much worse because you know it's like you're 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 basically telling them you have to hide this from me. You have to, you know, uh, do this in possibly a place that's not safe, and that's not what most parents want, even if you're not all for the whole them being queer thing.
1: And I, I think it's important to remember too, if you you know you, your religious beliefs or whatever you don't agree with with the queer community and their lifestyle or who they choose to love, um, and you want to kind of talk about this, well, just don't shove it down my throat. Um, that that just remember that that doesn't work both ways. By by saying that, by saying just don't let me see it, don't let me know about it, that completely makes someone unable to talk about it, to show who they are. So that does not work both ways. Unfortunately, you know, in order for someone else and for you to have your beliefs, someone else also gets to have their beliefs. So let's try to remember that when we try to, you know, tell someone, well, I just don't want to see it.
0: You know, there was a phrase that really made a huge difference to me when I was trying to come out um, or I was considering whether I wanted, wanted to go that route because at the time I kind of liked both men and women. And so like, so the phrase i heard i don't remember what i heard it in but it was it was this idea of guilty by omission and it was this idea that you know even if even if you don't exactly lie about it that by completely omitting it from your life you are guilty of lying you know to yourself or to other people just by simply not saying anything and that really made a huge difference to me um because you know, for a while I was like, well, maybe I'll just like try to figure this out or, you know, maybe I won't tell anybody and all, you know, all this stuff. And eventually I was like, wait, like, why am I feeling guilty? And it was because of that. It was because, you know, it, by not saying it, it still was a lie. And so by not talking to somebody who is gay, like, like you're you're essentially doing that to them.
2: I, uh, I just watched this movie called Come Sunday and it was OK, um, but it, it's basically just taking a hard look at the literal Readings of the Bible, and um, it's you know following this priest or pastor. I'm sorry, I don't know Christianity, and um, he's just struggling with what he's been you know preaching for the past twenty years. But um, there's kind of like this side story about um, the person who plays piano in his choir, and it turns out that he's gay, and you know he's struggling with it because he knows he's sinning. He knows you know God's gonna send him to hell for being gay, and and the priest you know comforts him by saying being gay. And doing gay are not the same thing, and so as long as you avoid doing gay, then there's a chance that you can get into heaven or whatever. Um, oh. It was it was a very interesting stance that, like, I had never that's that's really the Mormon of. Church's official stance. Is it really? That.
1: You can you may have gay thoughts. Well, you shouldn't, but apparently you can, as long as you don't act on them. And we, they encourage you to marry a man or a woman, regardless of whether you're attracted to them. That's the official stance. And I just want to say, in my personal opinion, um, God wants you to be happy. If if mm-hmm. that's you know if if you're if you're someone that is in religion and you are religious and you know you believe in a higher power, um, just take a step back. And I don't think that they want you to be miserable. So don't. <laughs> it's not. No, that's not fair to tell someone that they can't be happy at all in my opinion.
2: It's interesting too because it's especially in the 60s um and I guess previous time it seemed like um especially local and state governments really tried to kind of protect their white suburban uh well, of communities. Of course they did,
1: Dale. Yeah. They were the voters. From, from
2: even to seeing or witnessing, you know, this just, you know, this terrible, you know, queer community and the acts that they're partaking in um which Um, Curtis, I'm hoping you can dive into more. um, Was especially took place in Copton's cafeteria, right in 1966.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, You know, I mean, the whole idea of of suburban life was to get away from cities, too. I mean, so you know, so it was sort of like, like it was like a roundabout way of saying get away from people of different colors, Mm -hmm. religions, sexualities. Like, you know, so, so because I mean, especially
2: when urban life became synonymous with, you know, black.
0: Evil. Right. Or the city's evil. Or just different. I mean, I just yeah. say just different. I mean, different, you know, yeah. you can kind of just pick, you know, pick one at random and it was it was something you were trying to avoid if you were moving to suburbia in a lot of cases. Um you know, but anyway, but in, yeah, in nineteen sixty six, uh Compton's cafeteria uh had a riot. Uh and it, what this one what's really interesting about this one um is it's one of the first um riots led by um transgender women, um drag queens and And to a lesser degree um you know lesbians and gays as well, and bisexuals as well, because but it was really led by them
2: at the time there was still even within the queer community, there was this still kind of a division between trans people and you know gay and lesbian people right
0: yeah, I mean it it, it was even even to this day there's there's disagreements, you know I mean it's it's sort of like like you know these people are related in the way that they're being you know unfairly persecuted or treated differently or whatever and then it's kind of sort of related in that it's like sexuality and gender but really you're talking about a whole spectrum of people that sort of just banded together um out of the need for it and, uh, and mm-hmm. at least up to this time you know there was there was there was a still a huge division on what they thought they should do what they you know whether or not they wanted to to all do it together or, or to do it separately and and so what they did was they 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 destroyed this, this cafeteria. Um, a lot of these people had been forced, um, trans people and drag Queens had been forced, um, into sex work because they couldn't get any other work. Thank you, Mm -hmm. government. Um, you know, (laughs) and you know, I mean, it's, it's, you know, you look what you created, you know, it's like, you, it, like, you know, they wanted to be, you know, a banker or whatever. And now yeah. the only thing they can do is sex work. So now, now they're doing these, these,
2: you know, these, these, and guess know, the what thing. was, has, was, and still is severely looked down upon sex work. Exactly. Ding, ding, ding. exactly.
0: So, so it made them even more, you know, disliked by communities and, and it made, you know, so, I mean, it, and it gave them it a, a stigma
2: oh. of, oh, well, you know, you're a sex worker you're this dirty, you're, you know, this slum, like.
1: Oh, don't worry. You could be a banker, but you just had to completely hide who you were and be miserable with your identity. That's that's right. all you had to do, guys. Yeah, come on now. Uh,
0: that's it. <laughs> and so, and so, uh, so they were they were tired of being arrested and uh, uh, for for their for for you know for cross dressing for for just being who they were. In some cases, for being sex workers. Um, and so, the quote screaming queens erupted one night after uh, one of their their own was <laughs> being hauled away from the cafeteria. Uh, and so apparently, uh, after af- after uh, she was being taken o- or while she's being taken away, she emptied a steaming cup of coffee in the police officer's oh. face, and all hell broke loose. Now, <laughs> I love you know, that. You know, this. This goes really like I was having a conversation with somebody today about the Black Lives Matter thing, and 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 I always have to start off by saying that I don't condone violence. I don't condone hurting police. These are people too. Having said that, at the same time, at at some point. You push a community so far into the corner that things like this are going to happen because you've taken away every other. Refuge, every other you know, a law protecting them or their rights or their dignity. If you push somebody far enough, they're gonna do things like this, and you're lucky if you only get a a hot steaming cup of coffee thrown in your face. Well, and you 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 can't you
1: can't just support that kind of anarchy when it's dumping teen to the Boston Harbour. These have been happening throughout the history of time and we we have them in our history as revolution and it's whatever. And I hope in the future we call this a lot of this revolution too, because that's what it's been in the past. So you can't just kind of pick and choose which, you know, violence or aggression, um, s- serves a higher purpose and mm-hmm. serves progress because
0: and when it's done for a righteous reason, you look back on it and, yes. and, and it, and it, and it- you look back on it positively, you know. So absolutely. it's not to say that you should just burn something down because you're mad or whatever. But at the same time, like like if it was done because of injustice, I think there's a huge gray area there that that you know if you're if you're black, you would uh, uh, or even you know, if you're not would agree, you know, happen with the civil rights era. You know, if if you're a patriot, you would agree happened. You know, with the revolution, yeah, a patriot. I mean, well,
1: I, yeah, and I yeah. think if you're if you're seeing if you're you know listening to these these examples of violence against police officers from the queer community or with the black lives matter stuff and you're you're angry about it i think having some empathy from the perspective of rem- remembering and of where we came from because of revolution so just just try to remember that when you're getting frustrated with these individuals of this has happened through the history of time and we've supported it or we wouldn't have america be america right now so
0: absolutely and and the other important thing about this this riot is unlike stonewall that is covered a lot lately. One of the reasons you haven't probably heard of this, which is, is what I alluded it, to. Yeah. Is it wasn't covered, uh, you know, to the mm-hmm. press, uh, and the public LGBT people were so odious. Then this is a quote, um, and that in the sixties quote, peace of love, peace and love era, San Francisco, um, ironically that even something as newsworthy as their street battle with police needed to be kept from innocent eyes so wow. you know think about all the things throughout history that that you've been you know blinded to because because it wasn't convenient for whatever you know narrative that they were trying to to spin and you know and i find that in a lot of cases um you know the, the, when something feels like there's a hole in, and when you're listening to history, like you feel like there's a hole in, in the story, it's usually because somebody's omitting something. And usually it's because somebody's doing it on purpose mm-hmm. to kind of, you know, glaze over something that is inconvenient. 100%. And so and then there was also the Black Cat Bar um, in Silver Lake that was raided just after midnight on New Year's Day, which, you know, if you what's, what's up with New Year's Day and like raids, like, I mean, gosh, don't they want the day off? Like uh, it, uh top of the year. Yeah. We're going like, to start it, it off year, strong. New raid. Let's go, boys. <laughs> the New Year resolution every year, you know, like, I mean, gosh, uh, uh, 1967 police beat patrons and arrested more than a dozen people. Several weeks later, hundreds peacefully gathered outside the bar in a protest. Um, and it was a seminal turning point in the early gay rights movement. Um, I, I think Silver Lake is in L.A., but I I'm was not just actually sure say about where that. It's, 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 very,
2: it's very interesting, um, you know, going over these different incidences that happen, you know, kind of progressing through the 60s, how, you know, we look at them and more and more and more, it's starting to look like a movement you know, yeah, you see this is. momentum build and you see this kind of collective ideology and it's just building more and more. And as you can see, it builds and the fuse gets shorter and shorter and shorter as it comes closer to the catalyst of Stonewall. And that, folks, is where we will pick it up in the next episode as we take on Stonewall and the aftermath that follows. Curtis, Kara, do y'all have any plugs for today's episode?
0: Yeah, uh, I, I I've been wanting to plug uh, the Nola Drag Tours. Um, it's it's a tour that I took in New Orleans that was really interesting, and it, and even though we didn't get uh, any information for this episode uh, from that from that tour, um, I, I it definitely got me interested in in all uh, queer history and the history of women and sex workers um, in New Orleans. And uh, it's a lot of stuff that's not in the history book. So I highly recommend if you're in New Orleans, check out NOLA Drag Tours. Or, and if you're not in New Orleans, check them out online. They even have a podcast where they'll tell you the other side of, of history that just doesn't get reported.
1: Yeah, I think um, don't stop here You know, with our podcast. This is just a snippet of, of what there is to learn and to talk about. Um it's our responsibility to educate ourselves. So if you find anything interesting, keep on digging or let us know if you want us to expand on it.
2: Curtis, going off of that, can you tell the listeners what we've got coming ahead? We've got a big series in front of us.
0: Yeah, I think when we started this off, we uh, we originally said it was going to be three episodes. Yeah. And, and, and that was kind of naive of us all, I think, <laughs> because uh, because you know after we started digging into the topic of, of queer history and the trans movements, um, and uh, we we realize it's a huge huge topic that uh, that actually um, needed a full treatment and and often kind of gets um, sort of cut down to just the the Stonewall and that and that was basically it and then nothing happened mm-hmm. before or since so yeah so the next two episodes are going to be um, on Stonewall which is uh, coming up next and the episode after that is going to be everything that happened after Stonewall and the modern Pride Pride movement. After we're done with that, we're going to switch to another three-part series that's going to be on the trans experience um, and and, uh, on what gender means uh, to the trans community.
2: Awesome. So stick around, let us know if there's anything that you want us to cover specifically moving forward. Uh, But with that, we'll talk to y'all in the next episode when we cover Stonewall. Thanks, everyone. Thank you for listening to Social Discord, part of the Podcast Without Borders Network. You can get a hold of us by sending us an email at pwbnetwork at gmail.com. You can also check out our website at podcastwithoutborders.com. Thanks for listening.